0: Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor-Teacher Jeff Turing. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1 says In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure of house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish. What I would like to do is just turn a couple pages over to get the thrust. If you turn over to Daniel chapter 2, what I want to do today is to lay out kind of what is the main theme of the book of Daniel. And sometimes it helps when we are going through the books to have a key verse or a key phrase that the whole book is kind of based around so that you have it in context. Daniel is what we call an exilic book. It is a book that is written during the time when the Jews, the nation of Israel, are in exile. And so we read in verse 1 that the king of Babylon has come, they've besieged it, and they've taken some of the younger children of the land hostage, and they will not return. And so it looks like it's absolute chaos, but it's not. And that's the point of the book, is that Daniel the prophet is going to let us know that there is a timetable that all of history is on. And it looks like at times it may be chaos. It looks like it might not be part of a planned idea, that maybe some details are slipping away out of God's hand, or maybe he's just not in control at all. And so what Daniel's book is, in a whole, is to let us know that everything through history is exactly where he wants it to be. Chapter 2, we have in verse 37, Thou, O King, he's talking of Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, Thou, you, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom and power and strength and glory. He's saying that this particular king, the king Nebuchadnezzar, is now a world power. His kingdom is dominant over the entire world. He takes tax and tribute and slavery from all kind of provinces around the world, and he's in charge. To note right off the bat is that this particular kingdom that has overtaken Israel is not better than Israel. It's not more righteous. Even though God does the changing of the guard, it's not because one particular kingdom is better or more righteous. Because we know the Babylonians were full idolaters, they were ravenous, they were murderous people. So they're actually worse. But we learn from history the things that are taking place. I listened to ex speaker of the house, he's a fantastic historian. And if you listen to what history is and lays out, it just duplicates itself, it repeats itself. So it would be good for us to understand history, and that's why this is this isn't just a history book, the book of Daniel, and some of the people who are on millennial or of a different stripe look at this book basically as only historical. But it's not that way, because what he is doing is is he's going to lay out the history that has taken place. And then he's going to use that and know that it's just going to be repeated in the future, and so the details are laid out for us. So we learn this from history. The king of Babylon, he takes over, and now he is the global power. Verse 38, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. So what he's explaining is, again, is that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom now has full dominion. They are the global power of the world but it doesn't last. We know this. Our history books tell us the exact same thing that the Bible is telling us. If you look down in verse 39, it says, And after thee shall arise another kingdom. Not because it's stronger or better. We know the Persian Empire overtook Babylon and they rose up. Then it says in verse 39, And after that, another third kingdom of brass will rise up. We know our history, Alexander the Great. The Grecians take over from the Persians, and history goes on. Of course, then we've just followed our history books. It says in verse 40, A fourth kingdom shall be strong. So we have the Roman Empire then takes over and dominates after the Grecian Empire. This is all basic history for us. And so what we're learning, though, is God is showing that dominion, world rule is being transferred, different names, different faces, different localities, but He's trying to show us look, this country here has had dominion and rule and they crumbled. And God raises up another one. Not necessarily that they're better or more righteous, but this is just His plan. He's showing us to learn from these things. According to the book of Daniel, this is all way future, and it's perfectly accurate. For to us it's history, but to Him it's future. So let me go over to verse 44. And after the Roman Empire is crushed, look what then He says. And in the days of these kings which is the division of the Roman Empire at the end. It breaks up after Rome is crushed. It kind of breaks up into multi-kingdoms. There's about ten kings that are the main of the world. And he says, And in these days, the kings, the God of heaven, shall set up a kingdom. Now this particular kingdom, though, it says, "...which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people." But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So again, he's talking now of a final world kingdom that has world dominion. This is what we know of as the crescendo of history. This is the millennium. The Jews call it the golden age. This is the coming kingdom. Remember, Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth, as it is in heaven. Now some of us came out of churches that were kind of a watered down, downright some of them apostasy, and they just repeated that as as some kind of religious function. But that's not what it's meant to be. What Jesus is talking about is exactly what we're talking about here. He's saying, this is what I want you to pray. Thy kingdom, this everlasting dominion, this rule... This golden age, thy kingdom. Pray for that to come, and then it will be on earth, an earthly kingdom, as it is in heaven. So this isn't just a religious phrase of some kind of mock prayer for us to do. There is meaning behind what he is saying. And so we don't repeat it in a ridiculous way, but it's got content to it. And so we look at these things because we see this now. We're taught through the Gospels that this crescendo of history, this millennium, the golden age, has got to be forefront. This is the main theme throughout the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the main theme is this glorious kingdom. And so Jesus tells parables, and he tells us as his believers, I want you to invest in this coming kingdom. Because those of us who are believers are knighted to be a part of the rule and the reign of this kingdom. We will be governmental employees of the king. We are of royal blood. We are born again. Now we have a royal pedigree. We are part of the Lord's family. Therefore, we will rule and reign in this coming kingdom. And so, everything that we do here in life is going to gain us rank in the kingdom. So, if you serve the Lord with rigor, you'll have a higher rank in the kingdom. And the Lord told us that in the parables. Remember, parable of the talents. And the parable of the pounds, he says, go and trade. Go ahead, take the gospel, and work it, and work the kingdom, and advance the kingdom. And in so doing, when the reward comes, he says to the one, he says, Lord, your pound, it's, it's a fantastic pound. Your money is absolutely profitable. I have invested it, and I've doubled my money. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then you will have five cities And then to the other servant, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You will have ten cities. And so the Lord is encouraging us to look at these things that are before and saying, go invest. He says, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. There are some people that we know, don't we, that are so dedicated to the gospel and to the things of the Lord, I don't even think that we're going to see them in heaven. I mean, unless they come down to us peasants. (laughs) Because they are so dedicated, they have invested so much of their time and treasure into the things of the future, that their rank in the millennium will be incredibly high. Because at that time, the world will be of full dominion. The Lord will just reign from on high. Jerusalem is the capital city of all these things. So we want to keep that in mind as we're going through the book of Daniel. This is the thrust of it. This is where we are heading. This is what it is all about. This is why you're going to find a couple of men in a fiery furnace. And what their response is, is if we die, we die. The Lord will deliver us. But just in case He doesn't, there's a kingdom coming we may make 80 years maybe 90 unless you're of like good seed then you make it to 100 but the kingdom lasts a thousand years and then afterward so this is what he wants to keep in mind now what we read in Daniel chapter 1 was that at this time Israel the Lord's nation is taken over by a wicked nation They besiege it, and then they take it out. Now, a good Bible student then will ask a few questions. Why? Why does this take place? And then we say that in our own lives, uh, something goes disastrously wrong, and you would say, now, Lord, why are you doing that? It makes no sense. And so you would want to ask why. What I want to do is to address the answer, why? Why? are these things happening in the book of Daniel. So if you would just throw your ribbon here, we may come back, I, I'm not exactly sure. But let's go back all the way to the beginning and find the the roots of what is taking place throughout all of history in Genesis chapter 3. Another familiar place, um, if you will. And so Genesis chapter 3, we know what takes place. They're in the Garden of Eden. The devil comes, tempts them. Adam and Eve eat the fruit. And then of course from then on it's um, it's not so good. But look at it in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 17, it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee. So God gave a command. Now the Lord's commands are statutes. They are laws. Whatever his word is, whatever he says, is law. So he gives a command to Adam and Eve. One command. Do anything you want. Don't eat of the tree. Of course, they break that law. And it says, Because you have done this and you have eaten of the tree, which I commanded, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Look what he says, the first word. He said, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. God has put forth a curse. This is what we know of as the general curse. He cursed everything, all of creation has now is broken it 's under the curse. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. They didn't die right away. We recognize that. But what they did have is they endured now a curse. Their human body that was designed to live forever now is under a curse. And so they are slowly dying. They're going to age. They're going to get old. And so under this curse, not only is the ground cursed with briars and thorns and thistles, they're going to have to work hard. They're going to have to sweat. It's nothing like what it's supposed to be. Nothing of what it's supposed designed to be, but it's under a curse. And so we have this general curse that is engulfing the entire planet. The seas themselves, rage, hurricanes, natural phenomena is under this curse. It's not supposed to be this way. It was designed to be a paradise. But you have this general curse that has swallowed up everything. So much so, this is why how we can explain disease when you see uh, you know the cancers that are arising and all these things that take place is because of what happened here because of the curse. So we have suffering, and if you look at it and you compare it with Daniel, this is the first exile. They were in the garden, and that's where they lived. That was their land, and they had dominion over all the land of the garden. Adam and Eve named the animals. When you name something, that's because that is yours. You have the authority to name it and call it as you wish. And so throughout all of the garden, Adam and Eve was the head. They had dominion. They were, if you can say it, the king of the garden. But because they broke the law, they broke the command, they went into exile, and they were banished from the garden. They're paying the price. Now, if you look at it, it's a pretty drastic price, don't you think? And I've seen gentlemen with dementia. And you see that progress. And they no longer know the people that they have loved for so long. But they're healthy. Other than that, and you think it just doesn't seem fair—the suffering of disease. Think of all the diseases, just heart failure, congestive heart failure, and how that just will deteriorate a man down to nothing. They can be a two hundred fifty-pound, six-foot-eight man, and he's got heart problems, and you can see they just—they go down to nothing, and because of this, and you would say to yourself, at least I do—it just doesn't seem fair. The punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. I mean, the suffering in the world. Because Adam ate a piece of fruit? But that's what it is. And who am I to question? It's, it's the Lord's doing. But the reason is, is because He wants you to know, I am in control. So this is what we know of as the general or the universal curse that takes place. But then we also have what we know of as the special or divine law. And if you look over into the book of the law, the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he goes through these things and explains. Turn over to Deuteronomy 28 and it says in verse 1, "...it shall come to pass..." Now this is the statutes of Israel. This is similar to our Constitution, our amendments, our statutes, our ordinances. So we're reading the law book of the nation of Israel. Now look what it says. It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, his laws, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God... Now look at this. ...will set thee on high... This is talking national, the nation of Israel. ...I will set thee on high above all nations of the earth... What does that mean? That means that the nation will have full dominion. Isn't that the thought? That's the thread that is running through the entire Scripture. Is God is giving dominion to whomever He wants. He's in full sovereign control. So He says, if you will do these things, these statutes, and diligently hearken unto them, I will set you high above all the other nations, and you will rule the world. Your nation will be higher. Now look and two, it says, and all these blessings shall come upon thee, and I have it underlined, and overtake thee. In other words, you'll be overwhelmed with blessings if you follow this in a national way, your nation will be just downright overwhelmed with blessings. Now, you ever get blessings in your life? And then you're like, you almost go into a hallelujah fit. I mean, you're in the car and you're singing, and it's a good thing you're in the car because you can't sing a lick. and So you roll the windows up and you sing with all you got. You know, hands up and you're like, so it happens in the body shop with us. Just happened recently. I got a car that's hitting the back, and if it's hitting the back hard enough, what happens is, is the back quarter panels blow out. And so you have it smashed on this side, it's smashed on this side, and it's terribly smashed in the back. So I get it up on the frame rack, and I bolt it all down, and then I got this 10-ton uh, uh, pulling system that stretches the car out and stretches the frame out. Once in a while, though, what will happen is I'll put it up on the rack, and you can hear them. I mean, you can hear the dun 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 because it's pulling 10 tons. We're stretching this whole car out. And then once in a while, you hear a boom. And what will happen is, is the quarter panels that were smashed on both sides. They pop right out as if they're perfect. And then I get paid 15 hours per panel plus the panel to repair those. And it is just absolutely fixed. I mean, it's like there, you, there's not a dent in it. And that's what I say. Now, that is a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> I just saved 30 hours of work plus a couple hundred bucks for the panel, paint and all this stuff. I, I think I just, God just blessed me with about well, close to 2,000 bucks. Now that's a blessing. An overwhelming blessing. Especially when I go home and give the money. Then it's not a blessing anymore for me. <laughs> this is what he is saying. These are, these are not just clouds and stuff. You know, This is genuine blessings that will overwhelm you if you do what the law says. And so he goes on, three. Blessed thou shalt be in the city. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. And blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of thy cattle and the increase of thy kind and all your flocks and herds. Blessed shall be the basket. Blessed thou shalt be when thou comest. bless, blessed, blessed. And you're just blessed. I mean, it's like, it's overwhelming. But if you don't do what you're told, well, then we know the opposite, don't we? So you come down to verse 15. But it shall come to pass... If thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and to observe and do all of his commandments and his statutes which I have commanded thee this day, that all these what shall come upon people? Curses. This isn't the general curse. This is specifically because you have done something. See, I inherited the curse of Adam because I was born in the bloodline of Adam. We were all human beings. We all suffer from the general curse. We're all going to die. But it has no, nothing because of what we've done. But this particular thing, this curse, it's because of something that we've done. You earn it, you didn't do. And look what he says in 16 Cursed shall thou be in the city, cursed shalt thou be in the field, cursed shall be thy basket and thy store, your food be cursed. I don't care how organic you do it. Your food becomes poisonous. And you can't do anything about it. Verse 18, cursed, now look at this, cursed shall be the fruit of thy body. Your children come out deformed. Deformed if you know, and if you talk to people who are of a homosexual flight, most of them will tell you, I was born this way. It's part of the curse, the fruit of the body. As the nation declines in righteousness, the curse then sets in in a national way, and the fruit of their body becomes deformed and then as it snowballs because then the the nation then goes into sin it starts to snowball because they become more unrighteous and they disobey the law even more and then they give birth and then they change laws and then things different things happen and wickedness just starts to prevail so badly then then what happens the nation crumbles and they're destroyed and another nation rises isn't that what we're talking about in Daniel? The law of God is so precise. Now don't forget, this is written somewhere around 1450 B.C. We're centuries before. But look at how precise this goes. Look at verse 32. Because you have done wrong, part of the curses is, thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people. They're going to be taken captive. And thine eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine hand. You won't be able to rescue your children. They will be taken captivity, and you won't be able to find them. That is part of the curse as it takes place. Doesn't that sound a little bit about what we just read in Daniel chapter 1? King Nebuchadnezzar comes first thing he does is he takes your children. It's part of the law. Go down to verse 49. It says, The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far. And the end... Now, this is a fascinating verse in the law, and you have to put the messages together from last week. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far... From the end of the earth, now as swift as the eagle flies. This sounds like Ezekiel. It actually is Ezekiel. The eagle, the broad-winged eagle with many feathers and many colors comes to pick the twig. It's in the law. And also, he says, not only this eagle will come and swift and take this nation, but it says, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. The Israelites did not know how to speak Chaldean. They're hauled off to another nation. They can't understand a word they're saying. This is the curse. It gets worse, verse 50, "...a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of old, nor shall favor to the young." They are absolutely merciless. We know that it was custom of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to take shark hooks, what we know of what looks like a a hook that you would catch a whale or a shark, and ram it through their jaws from underneath and stick the hook out, and then chain them one to another, and they would be hauled back to Babylon by way of hook. They were absolutely terrible. Young or old, women or or anyone. To the point then, in 51, it says, now look at the details. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land. You're going to run out of food. To the point of verse 52... It says, and he shall besiege thee. That's exactly what Daniel 1 is saying. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until the high and fenced walls come down Wherein Now, actually, the walls and the fences don't always come down. What he's actually talking about is the levels are, are equalizing. So what the Babylonians would do when they would besiege the city is they would just constantly take dirt, and they would grab dirt from all over the places. The military people would just grab dirt because they can't bust through the bulwarks. They can't bust through the walls. They can't get through the gates. So what they would do is they would just take dirt and just keep piling it up outside the wall. And they would stay there for for years until all your food is running out to the point where you're starving. But they don't care. They're taking their time. They're going to take dirt and build that up up against the wall until finally the dirt is so high that they just simply walk right up the hill and over the wall they go. Free reign. And by then... You're already starving. Your men have no power whatsoever. And isn't that what we read? That what happens there in the, bes- the siege when Babylon comes? In fact, in 53, the law tells us, Thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. It is cannibalism. This is horrible. I mean, absolutely horrible, but what we're seeing is is the power of the curse. This is the curse. Remember, if you do these things, I'll bless you. If you don't, God says, I'm going to curse you. And this is absolutely horrible. Horrible. It shows the power of the curse. Now, what we need is someone to rescue us. But who is going to rescue? And we know no one came. But we need one. Paul wrote of it in Galatians chapter 3. Look there and we'll close and make our descent in Galatians chapter 3. Look what Paul writes to the church that and explains these things. Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. You want to stay with the works of the law? And here's what you say. I mean, I know we hear this all the time. You, you give the gospel to somebody or you just talk about the Lord to somebody and this is what they say. Well, I'm a pretty good person and I think I'm okay. I'm all good. You know, I think my good outweighs my bad, therefore I'm good. Oh, okay. What you're doing is you're submitting yourself to the law Not grace, not mercy. You're saying, I am good enough, I'm cool, my good will outweigh my bad. What you're saying then is is that I'm going to stick with the works of the law. But look what he says. Because many are of the works of the law, but they're under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. We know we've broke the law. Everyone knows they broke the law. We've all lied. And we still lie. Cheat, steal. We have envy and lust and greed. All these things are in us. From the previous curse... And then we actually choose to do it and break, and get so we're under we're under two curses now. Not only are we going to we're suffering from death and disease and all the things from the first curse, but we're disobedient to the point now we're going to endure two curses. We are absolutely doomed. I mean, you're you're done if that's the harshness. Because I mean, we have broke the law, and look at it. It says I mean, there's a pile of evidence against us. Look at verse eleven. He says. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. There's a pile of evidence against us. We don't need to stand in a court of law to have somebody cross-examine. Darn right, we know. We broke the law. So endure the curse. I mean, but the curse is so harsh. I mean, it's absolutely damning. Literally. Damning. If you want to stand before God and say, well, my good always my bad, you are under the curse. Heading towards the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's appointed on a man once to die and after this to judgment. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're good because you're not and everyone knows it. Just ask your wife or your husband. Or anybody. Ask your kids, they know. They tell me. (laughs) I get the Minutemen around and they're all like, Dad, you know, they're like, you know what Dad said? And I go, No, tell me. (laughs) Tell me. Tell me more. (laughs) Run of the curse. We need a king. We need a king so strong that he can break the curse. Save us. Because we're under siege by the devil and everybody with him. We are constantly under siege. We need a king. And one came. Verse 13, Christ the king hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? He was made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's the gospel. Jesus the King, the Sovereign Lord, came down became a man. And at Christmas time, the kingmakers came. And they said, Where is he born of Israel? The King of the Jews. But they made a mistake because he was the King of the world. He has full dominion over everything. He gives them to whosoever he will. He is the king. He was the only one who had the wherewithal and the power to be the king and to save us from this curse. So he took on him the penalty of the law. It wasn't that the penalty went unjust. The penalty was paid. The curse is this. You broke the law, the penalty must be paid. And so Jesus Christ dies on the cross, not for His own sins, but for Mine. So that the curse could be lifted off of Me. So that I can then go into this glorious kingdom. But it's better than that, because we still have the second curse. He took the curse of the law when He died on the cross. But what about the other curse? That curse He took care of in the tomb. On the cross, the law's curse is removed. But in the tomb, death, the curse, is also removed so that we could live forever. And for what? And for why? That's the question. Why are we doing all this? Why do we do what we do? Why is the book of Daniel written? Because thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, And who will it be done by? By us, who he has given to us, those who believe dominion and power over the entire earth. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Have thou ten cities. The crescendo of all of history is written for us because our own king would lay down his life for the subjects. So don't get bogged down with the stupidity of the world. It is fleeting. You won't have a whole bunch of stuff in your bank account when you die. For lay up yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt. And there we have the thrust of the book of Daniel. For these things are written. The dream is sure and it will come to pass. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Turing. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.